You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Does the degree of one's spiritual development determine our ability to heal? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Larry Dossi from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Dr. Dossi lectures internationally on the topic of spirituality and medicine. His many books include Prayer is Good Medicine, Be Careful What You Pray For, Reinventing Medicine, and the New York Times bestseller book on prayer, Healing Words. He is currently the executive editor of Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing. Dr. Dossi, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Great to be with you, Susan. Thanks for the invitation. As a traditionally trained Western physician, what led to your interest in the spiritual aspects of healing? Well, it was a roundabout journey. I was afflicted with a significant medical problem from grade school onward, and during college and medical school, it simply got worse and worse. It was a classical migraine headache associated not just with headache and nausea and vomiting. The worst thing was a partial blindness. This would just put me out of commission for days at a time. I actually tried to drop out of medical school because under the stress of medical school, it got much worse. But I, I sort of soldiered on, and uh, nothing in conventional medicine worked for this. In the early 70s, however, a new technique emerged on the national scene called biofeedback. And as many listeners know, this involves learning to deeply relax your body using feedback from high-tech gadgets that measure things you ordinarily aren't aware of, such as what your skin temperature and muscle tension are in your body. This uses a lot of imagery and visualization along uh, with this, and this proved to be almost uh, a miracle cure for me. Almost overnight, the problem virtually disappeared. You can't ignore these kinds of events, I think, uh, in that kind of situation. And they made me begin to ask questions about the relationship between my own mind and consciousness to how my body behaved. And this was just a short step away from my interest, which later evolved in the direction of spirituality, which I find involves many of the same issues that I confronted in my own uh, problems with uh, migraine headache. So when in the late 80s, controlled, randomized studies on prayer and spirituality began to emerge, I was attracted to them quite naturally. And I followed the field very closely because of my own personal experiences and interests and began to write about them. Did your migraines go completely away? Ninety-five to ninety-eight percent, I would estimate. It was a dramatic response. Uh, this almost stalled my, uh, wrecked, almost wrecked my career as a doctor before it even got off the ground. I can't describe to you what a real problem this was for me. What role does the mind play in the health of the body? I don't think we can talk any longer about pure physical illnesses. Even genetic diseases, in many instances, have a, uh, a psychological component to them. Uh, one of the most dramatic examples is the biggest killer in our culture, which remains uh, as heart disease. We now know, for example, that most men in this country have their first heart attacks on Monday morning around 9 a.m. than at any other time in the week. And job satisfaction has been, in many studies, uh, found to be one of the very best predictors of uh, first heart attacks, even right up there with cholesterol, smoking, and high blood pressure and diabetes. It's a dramatic example uh, of how the mind intervenes in the body, even in diseases that we tend to regard as uh, purely physical, such as, uh, generally speaking, heart disease. People have begun to do research on something that's being called the Black Monday Syndrome, 
which is the uh, negative impact of the dread of one's job, the dread of Monday morning, of going back to a job that you don't find much fulfillment in. So even in something as physically or, uh, based as heart disease, we can't remove the mind uh, from the equations. And if you go down the list of diseases that we commonly confront as physicians and patients, you can make the same sort of comparisons. Does the degree of one's spiritual development determine our ability to heal? Boy, that's really a complicated question. I think that uh, certainly one's spiritual uh, capacities can be uh, developed, and certainly if you look uh, at the historical literature, one finds uh, people who are really adept at uh, spiritual practices and uh, I think one finds protégés, for instance, in any field in human behavior and endeavor, uh, as we see in, for example, mathematics or music or sport. Uh, I'm pretty sure as well that gifted people also exist, exist in the field of spirituality. Now, the big question is, do those people do better with their health than those of us who are not so uh, advanced spiritually? I'm not sure there's evidence for that. In many of the healing studies, for example, People who are not spiritual adepts uh, have been able to enter into these experiments and produce the same sort of controlled uh, results that people who are dedicated healers who have been doing this for decades. So I think that we don't know the question to this yet. For example, the, the field of healing experiments is only about three decades old. The entire field remains in its infancy. I think that this is one of those questions we're just going to have to put on the table and say we don't know the answer yet. It's, uh, it's a topic for future investigation. How do you respond to those who suggest prayer is a placebo effect? I'd say that it does have placebo effects written into it. If people know they're being cared for or loved or empathized over or prayed for, they're much more likely to do better than uh, if they do not know the, these things. I don't think it's shocking that uh, to say that prayer should uh, work uh, partially through a placebo, but that's not the entire story. How do we know that? Well, if you look at the studies that have been done in animals, for example, looking at tumor remission rates in animals, uh, one sees that these controlled studies work, and they've been replicated by different people. Now, as far as we know, mice that have been implanted with mammary tumors don't think positively. They're not open to suggestion, presumably. They don't demonstrate, as far as we know, the placebo response. But one sees statistically significant results in these non-human models anyway. This suggests, I think, very compellingly that something over and above the placebo response is going on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Larry Dossi, discussing spirituality and medicine. Dr. Dossi, how did your experience in Vietnam affect your perspective on medicine? Well, I had a very challenging assignment in Vietnam. I was a battalion surgeon with an airborne infantry brigade out in the boonies for 12 months. Uh, One can't go through that kind of uh, experience for a year and not come back without a sense of humility and extraordinary gratitude for the mere fact of having made it, of being alive. I, uh, I think that that's the greatest contribution that that experience created for me. I came back from Vietnam with a sense of thankfulness, of, of 
and a sense of the preciousness of life that I didn't have before I went there. And uh, I've maintained that ever since. And that's still a living presence in my life. How can the gap between science and spirituality be bridged? I think we have to insist on good science. And as long as we do that, the gap will be bridged as it is being bridged even now. Uh, We need to put aside our intellectual indigestion and resist the temptation of saying, well, these things can happen. Uh, We just know that they're not possible. Uh, The consciousness cannot reach out beyond the body and make a difference in somebody else's health profile. We simply need to put these ideas to the test. Uh, There's enough data on the table now to grab anyone's attention who approaches it with an open mind, uh, in my judgment. We must be willing to go ahead and pursue new models of consciousness and uh, the behavior of the mind that makes these things uh, possible. Uh, We're looking at a renovation of our notions of the relationship of the mind and the body and how consciousness operates in the world. We have faced these kinds of challenges before in medicine. This isn't the first time we've encountered these levels of challenges, which force a huge renovation of the way we think about certain things. Uh, We faced it with antibiotics, the idea of chemotherapy. Irradiation was was once laughed at. Uh, So these sort of challenges aren't new. It just requires standing in there and and maintaining our courage and honesty and being able to follow facts wherever they lead us. As long as we do that, we're going to be okay. Tell us about the Dr. Elizabeth Targ research. Dr. Targ, uh, the late Dr. Elizabeth Targ, did a study on patients with advanced AIDS. A pilot study was done looking at the ability of healers to make a difference in patients with advanced AIDS. And in the pilot study, 40% of the people not receiving prayer died, while none of the people uh, who received uh, distant uh, intercessory prayer uh, died. The study was expanded. By this time, triple-component anti-AIDS therapy was on board, and all of the patients in both groups were taking it. Nobody died, uh, probably as a result of better therapy for AIDS. But she did find that in, the, in this double-blind study, the people who received distant healing from these really dedicated healers had a lower instance, statistically speaking, of what we call AIDS-related illnesses, things such as pneumocystis pneumonia and encephalitis and the sorts of illnesses which kill people with advanced AIDS, uh, compared to the control group. The people who received the distant uh, healing intentions uh, uh, went to the doctor less. They were hospitalized less frequently. When they were hospitalized, they got out statistically quicker than people in the uh, control group not receiving these healing intentions. And so if you just sort of backed off and looked at how these two groups did, it was pretty clear that the group receiving the healing intentions had a leg up, uh, had a therapeutic advantage, uh, clearly, over the people in the control group. What do you mean when you say the extraordinary healing power of ordinary things? Well, it's the, <laughs> it's the name of my latest book. Thank you for asking. And uh, I wanted to bring attention in this book to the fact that many of the uh, things in our lives that we don't usually notice because they're just too common and uh, ordinary have the ability to make huge differences in our health. Over a dozen of these, which I talk about in the book, because of the research surrounding them. The lead chapter is optimism, just to give you an example. Most people think optimism is just sort of a cheery feeling we carry on in our heads, and it really doesn't affect our health. But we know through compelling data that optimists tend to live statistically a good deal longer 
than pessimists do, and they have a lower incidence of all the major diseases you want to look at. This is sort of what I mean by saying that there are really common things out there, very ordinary things that can add uh, tremendously to our health that we usually simply don't notice. What is your best advice for practicing physicians today? I think we need to do what we have been schooled to do, and that's to care for our patients with love and devotion and compassion and empathy on the one hand and to be good scientists on the other. Uh, By being a good scientist, I mean following data wherever it leads. It involves the willingness to put our prejudice and biases aside and to fearlessly uh, follow good data. Dr. Dossie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Susan. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.